right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, come on, gather around. We've got an amazing, awesome, potentially maybe the biggest guest we've ever had on the show here. Uh, I'm not kidding when I say this. I've been following uh, Matt Hogan for years on Twitter and everything that he's been doing on Bitwise. Uh, he is the chief investment officer. Uh, Matt, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Uh, you're building me up too much. You're making me blush. I'm delighted to be here, excited for what you all are doing. Couldn't wait to get on the show. So thanks for having me. No, man, this is good. Pizza Mind, you are, uh, you're freshly moved into the new house. Uh, things yes. are going good by you. They are. I have air conditioning. I have electricity. I have food. I can't complain. That's and more now than you, we've got that's more than someone... you had at other points in your life. Oh, it, that's true. <laughs> and even better, we have someone who actually knows what they're talking about in Matt Hogan on the show. Uh, we don't have to run to YouTube. We don't have to watch TikTok for investment advice. We're not going to give any investment advice. Exactly. Uh, but we're going to learn from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. So not that we don't have that privilege with every guest, but this one especially. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot going on in the space. It's been extremely volatile. Uh, we've seen a massive, I would say, uh, unprecedented unwind in the uh, the amount of leverage in the the crypto space uh, between the you know the the collapse of what we've referred to as CFI, centralized finance. Everybody knows that we're we're really big DeFi guys, and DeFi has held up really well. We're going to talk about all that and more. But first, Matt, let's hear from you. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you found yourself in this crazy world that we call crypto, because you could have done anything in the financial world and you decided to be the CIO of Bitwise. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And and wouldn't have, wouldn't have changed that decision uh, for anything in the world. You know, I come from a, a traditional finance background. Uh, I worked in the exchange traded fund or ETF industry for more than a dozen years. In fact, I ran with CEO of a company called ETF.com. Uh, back in the days when everyone, when no one knew what an ETF was, you know, today they're the the mother's milk of investing. In the early days of ETFs, people were very skeptical of them. There were actually congressional hearings about whether ETFs would destroy American entrepreneurialism or were uh, weapons of mass destruction. People hated them, and I saw Sounds them. Sounds familiar to to how they were thinking about crypto now. That's exactly right. I saw them evolve from this technology people were skeptical to straight into the mainstream. So I was in that business. Uh, ran a company called ETF.com, built the first analytics system, sold that business. And then after my earnout, I looked around, what is the next major technological breakthrough where people co don't currently understand how important it is? Maybe they're currently a little skeptical that I thought could substantially change the world. And of course, crypto is that. The big difference between crypto and ETFs is that the crypto market is 10, 100, many times much more important and bigger and going after a bigger market than the ETF business. So uh, joined Bitwise, now the CIO. We manage over a billion dollars in assets. I love the space. I've never been more bullish. Uh, and even through this crypto market correction, that hasn't wavered at all. That's amazing. So, so this is Crypto 101, right? We're not all experts. It's not Crypto 301 yet. So I think there might even be some people out there that are saying, well, what's an ETF? Mm -hmm. Matt, Matt, what is an ETF? And, and how does crypto even intersect with an ETF, an exchange-traded fund? Sure. Yeah, you know, for, for for centuries, people have tried to figure out the most efficient way to gain exposure to the market. Uh, and for most of the 20th century, it was mutual funds. You've probably heard of mutual funds. 
Yep. People take their individual money and give it to a person who manages it. An ETF is just a technological evolution of the mutual fund. It was created in the early 1990s, and it's inherently lower cost, inherently lower tax, and unlike a mutual fund, which you can only buy and sell once during the day, it trades throughout the day. So it was cheaper, faster, more efficient. It's just a new version of the mutual fund, a new technology. And uh, all of the money that has flown into the market over the last 20 years has gone into ETFs. None of it's going into, into uh, mutual funds. Mutual funds like a landline, ETF is like a cell phone in terms of how people <laughs> invest in the market. The reason ETFs and crypto have interacted for so long was way back in 2013, before most people knew what Bitcoin was, before Ethereum was developed, when people were like, crypto what? Uh, the Winklevoss twins filed for a Bitcoin ETF. And that got the world thinking about what an ETF could do for the crypto industry. And what it would do is it would make it trivially easy for people to buy exposure to Bitcoin in the same way that they buy exposure to stocks. And there's so many investors out there who still haven't allocated to crypto because it's unfamiliar. Wrapping in an ETF would help make it familiar. We're still waiting on a spot Bitcoin ETF, believe it or not, after nine plus years. Uh, we'll get there eventually. But that's where those two worlds interact. The other place they interact, and I can't emphasize this enough, is at the core, they're the same thing. There are technology in the financial ecosystem that makes things cheaper, faster, more efficient, and lets you do new things that you've never been able to do before. That was true of ETFs, which was why I was convinced, even when people were skeptical, that they were going to be massive. And it's true of crypto. You can send a billion dollars anywhere in the world and have it get there in 10 minutes on crypto, which is exponentially faster than the largest banks in the world can move money. You can program money like software, which you've never been able to do before. You can have digital property rights, which you've never been able to do before. Crypto has all sorts of issues and challenges and wrinkles, but it has these core capabilities that we've never seen before. And that's why I've been so uh, confident that its long-term trajectory is up and to the right, even if the short-term path there is going to be volatile. What is it that makes you afraid in this space? You mentioned what excites you, but is there anything that you're afraid about? And you know, how does a traditional finance guy learn to stomach such a steep drawdown in you know the market that we're in today? <laughs> yeah, the big, the great question. The biggest ex existential fear I have is that regulation will slow down the good that crypto can do for the world. Now we need regulation in crypto, right? There's the right amount of regulation. There's the right type of regulation. But it's also the case that regulators can overreach and you can slow down progress. So that's that's one thing I worry about. In terms of handling uh, drawdowns, there's a really simple answer to that, which is uh, you have to right size your portfolio and you have to have the right time duration in mind. For most and many investors out there, the right amount of crypto in a portfolio is between like one and 5% of their portfolio. And if it goes down 50%, you lose 2%. Well, guess what? The S&P 500 goes down 2% all the time. It's not that big a deal. So right-sizing your portfolio and then keeping the long-term time horizon in mind. We're worried right now that crypto has drawn down substantially, right? Bitcoin was at 68,000. Now it's in the 20,000s. But if you've been around this industry for a few years, $20,000 is way up from where crypto has been for most of its journey. So Heck yeah. <laughs> keep in mind that long-term time horizon. And then 
don't put all your eggs in the crypto basket, right? Unless you can stomach that volatility, you have to right size your allocation for your own risk profile. Now, I guess one of my big questions is around the Bitcoin ETF. I think it's something, I mean, Pete's of mind and I have talked about the Bitcoin ETF and speculated on its passing for maybe three years now at this point. Um, and there's been a dozen and a half ETFs that have been proposed. I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Bitwise has had a a rejected ETF from the SEC. I'd like to talk about that. But but what's the big idea? Why does Bitcoin need an ETF? And yeah. uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about kind of uh, the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, the real reason Bitcoin needs an ETF is that there are a huge number of investors who aren't comfortable or familiar buying it in a native format. So they're not comfortable creating uh, going on Coinbase. They're not comfortable having a MetaMask wallet. They would feel more comfortable buying it in the ETF wrapper particularly financial advisors, right? People who advise on wealthy uh, wealthy individual portfolios, all they use to get exposure to the market is ETFs. If it's not an ETF, it's a pain for them to do it and therefore they won't own it. We know that this works because in 2003, 2004, we got the first gold ETF. Now people have been buying gold for 5,000 years. You could say, we don't need a gold ETF I can go to my local gold dealer and get a gold bar and put it under my mattress and I'll be fine. But $80 billion flowed into that gold ETF. Why? Because it made it push button easy for people to allocate to it. So a, a Bitcoin ETF would do that. It would help protect investors and it would ultimately lower the cost of investing in Bitcoin, which for many investors right now is still pretty darn high. ETFs drive down costs. So it'd be it would be a great thing. The Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, we've actually filed for it twice and been rejected twice. Uh, so we're nothing if not persistent. Um, the SEC is having holding a very high bar for approving a spot Bitcoin ETF. As you've mentioned, there have been many, many applications and none have passed. We have seen ETFs in other jurisdictions. Canada has an ETF. Germany has an ETF. Scandinavia has an ETF. Brazil has an ETF. Um, Australia has an ETF. The U.S. hasn't seen fit to get there yet. I do think we'll get there, but we haven't gotten there yet. Is it just because um, the U.S. has a higher level of like, you know, they, they, you got to pass muster a little bit more than you do in Europe and Canada? Or, or is that a fair statement? I, you know, uh, that's true on the margin in that Canada, as an example, is often first with new things in ETF space. But Europe is not usually ahead of the U.S. on these things. So we are being particularly slow on uh, on Bitcoin. I think there's some sort of uh, triggering name relationship. Uh, if you removed Bitcoin and crypto from the name of this thing you were applying to get an ETF for, I think it would pass. I think it passes on the merits. That's why Bitwise filed for an ETF. I do think the SEC is holding it to a very, very, very high standard. Um, uh, we'll see when we can get over that standard. But yeah, And not to get too much into the weeds here, but uh, there was, I know the ticker symbol is B-I-T-O. There's a futures-based regulated, you know, U.S. Bitcoin futures ETF. Why is it that that got passed and the spot ETF didn't? And then kind of a quick little follow-up is like, has the futures ETF been tracking uh, the price of Bitcoin pretty well, or is there quite a discrepancy? 
Yeah. I don't have a good answer to the first half of your question. Nobody does. <laughs> Not even Gary Gensler has an answer to that, maybe. No, he doesn't have an answer because, of course, the futures settle to the spot price. So if you're worried about the integrity of the spot price uh, by some pretty simple transitive properties, yeah. it's hard to separate those two things. So totally. I can't riddle that one for you. Um in terms of how it's tracking, look, futures-based ETFs are the best uh, thing we can get right now in an ETF wrapper. But you do have an issue, which is uh, contango and backwardation. Futures can trade at a price that's not equal to the price that a commodity is trading at. So often it will be higher. Now, recently, that level of contango has been relatively low, so it's been doing an okay job tracking it. Um, but historically, over long periods of time, it's you know, it can be a three, four, five to 10% headwind uh, that can really add up over time. So it's an imperfect instrument. Again, it's the best we have. If you need to get Bitcoin exposure in an ETF wrapper, that's your choice. But it would be better for investors. It would be lower cost. It would be simpler if they had a spot Bitcoin ETF. So I hope speaking, that we there. Speaking of the best we have, uh, we just witnessed the best we had of CFI for more or less just collapsing. Uh, with Rest a couple names peace. yet to fall, uh, but rumors still circulating all around. How does this change Bitwise's approach to risk management, if at all? Yeah, well, I think um, that's a great question. It it changes it. I don't know if it changes it. It makes us think on two poles. So on the CFI side, one thing that this is a good memory a reminder of is during great bull markets, excesses always build up. And you have to be aware of those excesses. You have to monitor the leverage of le level of leverage in the system. You have to make sure that you're not exposed to any of these lenders. Now, Bitwise is a pretty conservative crypto asset manager. So we don't lend customer assets. We weren't exposed to any of these blowups. Uh, that's not our business. Other people do that, but we don't, we don't do that. The flip side is it actually raised my confidence in the DeFi space. One of the things about DeFi uh, that 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 if you've been around finance for a while, you worry about is what I call like Rumsfeld risk. Donald Rumsfeld always used to talk about they're the known knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, which are the things you can't even imagine, but are out there and going to eat you like a dragon. And the worry with DeFi is it's worked really great. What are the unknown unknowns? How would it hold up in a period of severe volatility? Every time it goes through a period of severe volatility, though, it's come out shining on the other side. And this was another great example. Uh, Celsius collapsed, uh, a CFI lender, and Aave worked perfectly, a DeFi lending protocol. Uh, it may be the case that on-chain transparent lending with clear collateralization just works really well. And so it actually built my confidence in DeFi at the same time it was a, a, a reminder that leverage and excess in CFI can lead to bad things and that we need to keep an eye on it. Um, and a reminder why Bitwise takes a very conservative approach on some of those things. Yeah, it, it was it was so, I guess, odd to me um, that this collapse happened in so far as like, it really was the, the, the Bear Stearns Lehman Brothers 2.0. Like it was like, if you look at it, it was just lenders didn't know their risk levels they didn't know they were lending all these guys were lending to the same party they didn't know all the, this one party or these two parties were, were were pledging the same collateral at every other lender it was just like there was no transparency and i think that's what you said is that DeFi 
gives this public auditability, this public accountability to the issuance of loans geographically distributed across the entire world. And there's there's just a, such an openness to it that makes it something so radically different than the traditional financial world. But, you know, in retrospect, like we've had Alex Mashinsky on the pod- podcast. We've had these guys, you know, talk about the CFI and all that stuff. And it's only clear now in retrospect that it truly was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And, and they said, oh, we've got, you know, we're just this UX interfacing between several different DeFi protocols. And, and at the end of the day, it, it really did end up being a, uh, a, a, a Bear Stearns Lehman 2.0. And, and it's really sad to see, but there's hope because that was not what DeFi, you know, that's not like the end all be all of DeFi. Like you said, I mean, Celsius paid off their loans uh, to Ave before they even paid out their their senior tranches of debt to their to their investors and their creditors. So it's uh, it's something that's pretty interesting that's going on with the DeFi world. Uh, and, and I think that, uh, you know, the, these DeFi protocols are going to be part and parcel of, of the future of finance. Do you feel uh, similarly? I, I absolutely feel similar. I think we'll look back and wonder how we ever managed to loan money through people <laughs> without having that level of transparency. Like, totally. What do you mean you just trusted these folks uh, who were doing uncollateralized loans with billions of dollars of assets that people were depositing as if it were a debit account? Yeah, I think we may look back at that as like almost a barbaric level of finance and yeah. kind of goofy uh, when you had this other alternative, which is more transparent, um, which is more robust and which doesn't rely on trust me as much as as, you know, look, watch, see for yourself. Uh, I think it's going to be a really remarkable turn. It, and it has given me more confidence that DeFi is the cornerstone of our financial future and not just a small experiment on the side of crypto. Yeah. So, so I, I've got a question about Bitwise in particular. Um, you mentioned it's a, you know, you guys are a billion dollar asset manager, um, but there's no Bitcoin ETF. So if there's no Bitcoin ETF that in my, I, I think that certainly means there's probably no like crypto ETFs. Um, right. So what sort of funds do, uh, do Bitwise manage? What's the nature? Yeah. So if you're if you're in the crypto game and you're a crypto asset manager, you have to work within the regulatory framework. So the regulatory framework in which Bitwise operates, uh, we offer primarily private funds, which are available to accredited investors only. So these are investors with a certain amount of liquid capital or a certain amount of annual income, and you can offer funds to that group that can't be offered to the to the general public directly. So most of our funds are private funds. We do have a few offerings that are available in public settings. So as one example, uh, we created an index that underlies an ETF of crypto equities, things like Coinbase, MicroStrategy, Silvergate, crypto miners. Uh, We provide the index and people can buy that ETF. One of our funds trades as an OTCQX ticker, uh, BITW, which is trades in a similar fashion to better known tickers like GBTC. which is available in a brokerage account, but as you all know, can trade at premiums or discounts. And as an issuer, we don't control those premiums or discounts uh, and they can vary very widely and they can be very volatile. So people need to be aware of that if they're accessing it. So that's how we do it. We, we operate within those regulatory frameworks, mostly accredited investor private placements, uh, and then an index for an ETF, uh, OTCQX fund, 
uh, and some SMAs or separately managed accounts, which are like one-on-one -on -one relationships for advising onto crypto assets. We've just been talking about DeFi and crypto indexes, and there are actually some indexes on DeFi. Mm -hmm. What are the risks of using an index on something like token sets versus a professional asset manager like Bitwise that the average person might not be completely aware of? Yeah. First of all, I admire those people who are experimenting with index strategies um, uh, on DeFi and our competitors in, in the more traditional fund space. It's worth saying a note. The core reason why indexing is interesting in crypto is because we're very early in crypto and what the future looks like is somewhat uncertain. So I feel very certain that public blockchains and crypto assets are going to be very important in the future and less certain about which particular assets will accrue the most value or will even win. Uh, even those assets I'm very certain about, I think Ethereum has a big place in the future. Uh, will Ethereum purely dominate? Will Solana carve out a space? Will other layer ones move in there? I feel less confident about that. So the beauty of an index strategy is you don't have to pick and choose winners. You can just buy the set. The, the primary difference, you know, those on-chain products versus off-chain products. Um, at Bitwise, you know, we try to provide a level of, uh, of due diligence, regulatory analysis, uh, clarity, professional trading, professional custody that some people find comforting. Uh, we've also been doing it for four and a half years successfully with substantial assets uh, and with no losses of customer assets or other issues. So some people feel more comfortable in that traditional world with that layer of professional oversight. Other people feel more comfortable in the purely DeFi world. Uh, and I, I admire those people and 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 like that, that is, those experiments are taking place. Yeah, it's almost like a trade-off, um, I think, because, you know, you you could, um, <laughs> one of my dad's favorite sayings is, simple is better than free. And with Bitwise, it's simple, but you got to pay probably a little price. Maybe there's a management fee, maybe some type of performance fee. I'm not sure. You'll let me know here in just a sec. But in DeFi, you know, a lot of this stuff, is, you know, is free, but you got to be able to be so technically, you know, inclined. You have to have your computer locked down like it's Fort Knox. You got to have yeah. all sorts of systems and processes in place to to ensure that you've got it going on, right? That you've got the security and the right, uh, you know, indexes on chain. And it's a lot for for an average person. So for, for kind of a normal person, maybe call it 75 or 80 or maybe even 90% of the world, they would choose a simple solution like Bitwise. And, and is there a fee that, that, that they might have to pay as an accredited investor? Yeah, that's a, that's a great comparison. I really appreciate that. Uh, kind words of wisdom. Uh, yes, uh, there, there's a fee. There's a, there's a fee. It depends on each product. It ranges from about one and a half to uh, 3%. Many of the products are two and a half or 2%. There's no performance fee. So we're not like a hedge fund. We don't collect a fee on performance. There's just an all-in fee that covers everything from custody trading to management and oversight. So as you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. Now, LinkedIn Jobs, it's here to make it easier for you to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. And, and literally, each time we need to grow our team here at Crypto 101, we've turned to LinkedIn to find our next employees. This includes how we found several members of our new team who were hired over the past 18 months. Now, create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond. 
to the world's largest professional network of, I kid you not here, over 810 million people. That's insane. And then you can add your job and you can also add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to help you easily spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. And LinkedIn uh, has simple tools like screening questions, making it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. So you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. And this is really why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs simply helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Now, did you guys know actually every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash crypto. That's linkedin.com slash crypto to post your job for For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Free. And do note that terms and conditions apply. One of the things that I think about sometimes is like, you know, that, like you mentioned, there, there's costs to doing business, right? You got legal teams, you got employees, outbound, all sorts of stuff. And so that's what, you know, the management fee covers. And now in a DeFi protocol, there, there might not be all those overhead, right? Uniswap, it was kind of this code that went and now there's just, uh, you know, it's just protocol that goes and there's no necessarily active uh, active management like the New York Stock Exchange has to go through all this stuff. And so it's just this whole you know, brand new paradigm. But I, I guess I kind of want to dive in a little bit to the specifics um, of the Bitwise like index funds. Do, are, mm -hmm. Is it something that like it's quote unquote set it and forget it? Um, it's like, you know, we we pick these top 10 and, you know, that's concretized, right? Or it's in it's in concrete. Or is that an actively kind of rebalanced based on some kind of strategy or certain basis? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's our flagship index to start there is the Bitwise 10, and it's designed to be like the S&P 500 of crypto, right? The S&P 500 is the easiest way to own the 500 largest stocks in the US. Uh, in crypto, the Bitwise 10 is an easy way to own 10 of the largest crypto assets. Now, it's a little bit more complex because um, crypto is more complex than the equity market right now. We have to screen out assets that have regulatory risk that have custody risk, that have tokenomic risk, um, and make sure those don't enter our portfolio. So as an example, uh, Luna became the sixth largest crypto asset, but it never entered the Bitwise 10 because we, wow. concerned, we were concerned about exactly Kudos. what Yeah, well, thank you. That's our job. That's what you're paying us for, right? <laughs> um, uh, so so we we do do these screens, but we reconstitute, we reconstitute it, we rebalance it every month. And uh, the idea is for you as an investor, it's set it and forget it. You make your allocation to crypto, and then you trust that Bitwise is monitoring the market, is adjusting to every regulatory pronouncement, is making sure new assets enter, 
if they pass our risk screens. You don't have to think about it. The portfolio always updates to be up to date with whatever's going on in the market. And that's that's our job. So there's and no I, doge in the, the yeah, there's no doge. That's what you're saying. There's no doge. There's no tron. There's no no shib. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting. As I'm looking down like the top hundred right now, I'm like, well, is there 10 on this list out of a hundred that would actually make the cut? Maybe 10, 11 tops. You have to, you have to go down the list um, a ways and, uh, but, but you get there, you get, you get your Bitcoin, your Ethereum, your Solana, your Cardano, your Polkadot, your, your Polygon, uh, your Avalanche, your Uniswap, your Chainlink. Um, you know, an interesting thing about being an index fund manager is I don't necessarily love every single asset in my fund. Uh, but you have to have the intellectual humility, I guess, to say the market decides that this is an important asset and it's nice to have exposure to it, even if you think other assets are, are better positioned because it's very hard to predict in advance, right? Not everyone, everyone loves Solana now, but not everyone loved Solana two years ago, uh, when it, when it, that was around when it entered our index, um, because you were following the math, the market was saying it's gotten to be pretty important. So um, I like that strategy, but yeah, you have to do your risk analysis. There are a lot of things you don't want to uh, allocate to in crypto. Yeah. And when you're putting together an index, you really have to stick to the thesis of that index, even though you might have 10, 12 other amazing ideas or things you believe in, but that might not be the right basket to put that asset in. You know, what are some of the big trends besides DeFi, besides indexes and ETFs that get you really excited about this space? Yeah, uh, I have a big picture view of what drives cycles in the crypto market. And maybe I can give you that view and tell me why it makes me so bullish. Yeah, there's this idea that Bitcoin halvings drive cycles or other things drive cycles. I believe that what drives cycles in crypto is when crypto finds product market fit. So the first big cycle in crypto, which was from 2010 to 2014, was the introduction of Bitcoin. All of a sudden, you could buy it on Coinbase, you could buy it at Mt. Gox, that was great, market went up a lot, and then we ran into issues. The next boom, 2015 to 2018, was the introduction of Ethereum and the launch of ICOs. That got a lot of people excited, all these new capabilities, the market boomed. The most recent boom, what happened uh, between 2019 and 2022, we had DeFi, we had NFTs, we had stable coins. All three emerged out of nothing. People put $100 billion plus into stable coins. They put a couple hundred billion into DeFi. NFTs started trading and that drove the boom. The reason I love that, the reason it gets me so excited for what's next is I think there is so much next. So for starters, I think stable coins are a trillion dollar market, not a hundred billion dollar market. There's so many use cases within the crypto industry, outside of the crypto industry, in emerging markets, in payments, I think that's going to 10x. DeFi, as we've been discussing, I think it's just getting started. I'm sure you've seen in the NFT space, the evolution beyond just pictures to uh, things like music or things like medical records or things like ticketing. There are a million use cases there. I'm excited about the growth of the metaverse. I'm excited about the growth of Web3 social interactions. I think digital identity on blockchain is going to unlock major new capabilities. When I look at the next cycle, I don't see one product or two products or three products. I see 10 or 15 or 20 things that are going to reshape the world in the way that DeFi and NFTs reshaped the world over the last three years. And that suggests to me that this next boom is going to be substantially larger 
than the previous booms combined because there will be so many products that we'll be interacting with on a daily basis. Think of 10 booms similar to the DeFi summer or similar to the NFT excitement. That's what must I have been listening to my prayers, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's it's going to be the moment that crypto finally goes mainstream in a meaningful way. And I think we're really close. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because, you know, I think about, um, you know, a lot of people ask me like, Bryce, like, what do you think about like, what is it going to be a win all like one, like one coin's going to win it all? Or is there going to be this fracturing sort of nature to the market? And I, you know, a lot of the times people say all as, as well as like Bitcoin versus Ethereum, if you had to choose one. And so, you know, Bitcoin, it was the the first, it's the most secure. It's kind of got the largest level of adoption and all that kind of stuff. But there's just not much going on on top of Bitcoin outside of, you know, the Lightning Network. It just seems like it's a really slow process. But Ethereum is like this Cambrian explosion of ideas. They've got DeFi, they've got NFTs, they've got DAOs, they've got more, you know, developers. And, and it really seems to me like it's more, it, it's it's an economic movement, but it's also a cultural movement. And mm. it seems like, you know, Bitcoin kind of lacks that a little bit. And, and I'm just curious about your thoughts on that, you know, call it dichotomy between Bitcoin as this, you know, we're only going to be gold and like, you know, it's only going to be this one thing. And then Ethereum is like, hey, let's move fast and break things. Let's experiment, yep. all that kind of stuff. No, you're exactly right. And you're, you, you've identified it precisely. And look, Bitcoin has to do that because what Bitcoin is focused on, what's optimized on is security and decentralization. And they're big trade-offs with making that your focus, right? If you're building a castle on the hill with walls that are 15 feet thick, you're not gonna interact with many people. You're not gonna be as, as dynamic. Ethereum is a little bit less secure, but can do so much more. I think Ethereum is going after a much larger market than Bitcoin. It's earlier in going after that market, but it's going after a much larger market. And I would take that Cambrian explosion Bryce. And then I would think about the fact that currently we can only do a handful of transactions a second. Now take that Cambrian explosion of excitement and entrepreneurialism and imagine we can do 100,000 transactions a second. Like that's the world that we're going to in the Ethereum and layer two space within the next few years. And that's going to create uh, a, you know, yet another one of those giant booms. It's really exciting. I can't wait. And when these booms happen, you know, all kinds of new money comes flooding into the space. They're looking for the next big thing. They're chasing these moonshots. And a lot of them only have like a thousand dollars to try and essentially gamble with, to be honest. Mm -hmm. What what words of wisdom would you give people in that situation? Like, is taking that all or nothing risk a good strategy or is there a better way they can grow that thousand? And let me or let me actually tack on real quick to Aaron's question because it's a, it's a really good point. Because Matt, you deal with accredited institutional level, maybe they're QPs or QIs, right? These are people who have net worths of hundreds or uh, sorry, they, they have net worths of millions of dollars. Um, and so those people, you know, they don't really think about, you know, the, these small coins, but they're, you know, crypto as this global open permissionless system, anybody could go out and download Coinbase and, and, and buy it, but not anybody could invest in Bitwise. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's a different, uh, it's a different market with different rationale and different timelines. You know, I think for those people out there who have a thousand dollars that they can put at risk, um, what would I, what, what advice would I give to them? One, I would say, don't overlook some of the largest assets 
I think the potential for return on Ethereum in the future is very significant. And just because it's already big doesn't mean that it can't be much, much bigger than it is today. And you don't want to be uh, uh, in the right direction, but bet on the wrong horse just because you're trying to get that, you know, whatever, the next big thing. Uh, I would take at least some of that money and buy some of the larger, more established assets and hold for three or five years. Because I think there is a major boom even amongst the largest assets. Um, I, you know, people are going to speculate. And so they should they should feel free to speculate, I guess. Um, I would just tell people, yeah, hold for the long term. The, the worst thing you can do if you're speculating is buy today and then sell when it falls 20%. It's going <laughs> to fall 20% after you buy it. This market is volatile. You're not going to perfectly time the bottom. You have to be prepared for that volatility. You have to only put in uh, the amount of capital that you can stand to lose. And then do hold for the long term because that um, that is the payoff. Again, crypto's down substantially from its all-time high, but it's up thousands of percent from where it was five years ago. And I think it has substantial appreciation in the future. The path there is going to be volatile, but the long-term trend has been has been historically up. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think that a lot of people, their their mistakes that they make is they think, oh, well, you know, I want to get wealthy in crypto, and so they, they kind of shorten their time frame, and they go all the way down the risk spectrum, and they say, what's the smallest? crappiest little thing that I could find that nobody's thinking about. And how can I turn a thousand dollars into a million dollars? And that's just not really the, white, uh, the the right way to think about things. Instead, reframing things, taking the long-term view and saying, okay, I've got five years to bet on some of the blue chips um, and, and kind of taking that approach. And one of the things like, you know, th this blue chip idea it's, it's tough to get your head around in crypto because even with Ethereum, which I consider to be, you know, one of the gold standards, right? Bitcoin, Ethereum. I mean, these have been, been through the ringer and they've stood the test of time. And now we have this Ethereum 2.0 sort mm -hmm. of uh, launch that's going on. And there's technological risk with it. There's logistical risk with it. There's all sorts of different things that could go perfectly right or perfectly wrong. How do you, as you know, a manager of an index with, you know, lots of Ethereum inside of it, how do you think about the merge, the Ethereum 2.0 merge? Yeah, uh, big picture, very excited about the merge. Uh, you know, it's not often that you see money upgrade. That's what's happening on Ethereum space. We're going to yeah. get lower inflation, lower carbon footprint, the ability to earn a yield. So broadly speaking, I'm extremely excited about it. I think it's going to be part of the catalyst for the next bull market. You're right to call out that there is technological risk. One of the reasons why we index and have exposure to other la layer one solutions, Ethereum competitors, is because of that technological risk. I don't think there's anything that could go wrong in the merge that would make me question the value of public blockchains, right? But I do think something could go wrong that would, that would slow Ethereum down and cause its competitors to gain. So making sure you have exposure to other assets uh, is one way to do it. I thought of one more answer, by the way, to your to your retail customer question, which is we publish the assets and weights in our index on our website. So even if you're not a Bitwise customer, if you want to know what are the 10 assets that Matt Hogan has all of his personal money invested in, it's right there for you, public, open for you to see. You can recreate our index if you want on Coinbase by yourself, and we welcome people to do that. Uh, as, now that's as cool. 
As they build wealth, they can come over to us. We'll manage it for themselves. But you can go to bitwiseinvestments.com. It's updated every day uh, exactly what we hold and exactly what the weights are. So it's there for you to see. That's amazing. I love that. Transparency, even from the traditional space. So we really appreciate that. Uh, and I was thinking of another question while I was just listening to you talk before about, you know, not trying to get rich quick overnight, but taking a long-term approach. How do we choose a proper time horizon? You know, when we look at something you say, this is going to be a good time to sell in three to five years or seven to 10 years. How do we like construct our mind to know when to sell these things and when holding on is enough? Oh, that's a great question. One way you can do it. There are a couple ways you can do it. One way you can do it is the portion of your portion of your portfolio. Let's say you're putting 10% of your money to work in crypto and you're comfortable with it being between, you know, five and 20%. That would mean that if crypto went up a lot and it got to 20%, you'll want to sell a little bit. It's called rebalancing your portfolio. It's a way to enforce selling when the market is up and buying when the market is low, which is really valuable in a crypto asset. Now, the only way you'll actually do that is if you write it down on a piece of paper the moment you invest. Otherwise, after it goes up a bunch, you'll think this thing is only ever going to go up higher. So you need that 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 sheet of paper, you know, stapled to your desk to keep you <laughs> on it and remind you to sell when it gets up there. So that's one way to think about it. You know, another way to think about it is crypto has historically moved in four-year cycles. So you got to own it at least for four years to see what the process is like. Uh, there's no guarantee, of course, it will move in four-year cycles in the future. But if you're if you're buying it for the next three to six months, look, I live in this space 24-7, 365. I've been in this space for a number of years, managed significant assets. I couldn't tell you where Bitcoin is going or Ethereum is going over the next six weeks. I just couldn't tell you. Um, I have a pretty high degree of confidence of where it's going over the next six years. So just make sure you have that kind of view in mind. And then the drawdowns don't feel so bad. Uh, maybe you can even add if it pulls back a little bit. Um, I'm going to throw a, a little, you know, a little uh, twig in the spokes here, just to play devil's advocate and perhaps right. maybe give you a, a new idea for a fund or something. But there, there there's this one. There's two quotes that uh, stick with me. The first one is from uh, Peter Lynch, who uh, managed the Magellan Fund at Fidelity. And it goes something like this. It's selling your winners and buying your losers is like watering your weeds and cutting your flowers. The other quote is from a gentleman named Paul Tudor Jones, who's you know one of the godfathers of hedge funds. And he says, losers average losers, meaning only losers are the guys who are buying the assets in their portfolio that keep going down and keep going down thinking, oh, I'm just going to double down it's cheaper, it's a good deal. And it's a it's kind of a cognitive bias. And so, you know, maybe there's a good, you know, a good strategy out there where it's like, you could hold on to your winners, uh, and keep, you know, doubling down on the winners, uh, and, and cutting the losers out. But again, yeah, no, I, I actually love it, Bryce. Uh, the, the, the thing about that I love is that is true of individual crypto assets. So uh, and it's if, a very momentum driven market too. It is 100% a momentum-driven market. And the assets that are doing well today tend to do well in the future, right? Not that many people are talking about Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum Classic or Made Safe Coin. Right? So so it is the case that in crypto, 
you want to gravitate to the winners. I so I actually agree with that. Um, but as an asset class, like the whole shooting match, uh, it does go up and down a lot, right? We, it goes up and down a lot. So you can lower your risk a little bit by harvesting some of those gains. Now, all that said, if you bought Bitcoin in 2010 and you held it to today, great. You're up 700,000%. You're the best investor of all time. <laughs> it's just very few people can do that. So so yeah. some people, you know, maintaining a core exposure. But you're right about individual crypto assets. You don't want to keep reinvesting into losers um, uh, because crypto is a momentum-driven market and size and scale matters. Totally. Yeah. Uh, man, this has been this has been phenomenal. I've already learned just more than I could have expected. And I'm not going to let you go yet. We've got some closing questions that we like to kind of ask all of our guests. Uh, we've gone through the meaty portion. We've gone through the meat grinder, right? We've asked you all the hard ones. Now we just want to have some fun and get a little insight into you know who you are and uh, kind of what motivates you. And, and one of my questions is, um, you know, there's a lot of really smart people in crypto, probably that you've interfaced with and, and that you know, who, if there's one person, if you could boil it down to maybe one or two people that have really had an impact on you, whether it's been the way you think about markets, the way you think academically about, you know, this technology, who would you kind of maybe give that shout out to? Yeah, within the crypto markets, that's a great question. Um, you know, Avicil Garg at, at Electric Capital is, mm. uh, is, is a friend of Bitwise uh, and a huge intellect. And I get to talk to him probably once a quarter. And he has some of the most clarifying thoughts on crypto and where it's going. So I would call him out within crypto. And then I do think, you know, I, I come from traditional finance and um, I'm a Jack Bogle guy. And actually <laughs> nice. the, the Jack Bogle, father of indexing, still colors a lot of what I think about this market. So there's there's two polar polar opposites. Yeah, definitely. I, I would I would back um, Electric Capital. They they come out with a great report. They came out with one uh, on just all the development activity, and those guys are just about as sharp as you can get. Yeah. Um, now another question I have, and we we have to now nix Electric Capital, and we're probably also going to have to nix anybody uh, any companies that you might have a direct um, you know affiliation with. Got it. Um, but what company out there really impresses you with? Maybe the uh, the speed that they've developed with the products they've developed. Uh, what company you think is having such a tremendous impact that they deserve a little bit of attention from the viewers? Yeah. So the easy one, which is not interesting, is FTX. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to knew it. They've had such a, a colossal impact on the ecosystem. I also really admire what they're doing now and how they're coordinating with U.S. regulators. Uh, they're really pushing for a stepwise improvement in how all derivatives trading works in the U.S. And unlike many firms that started offshore, uh, they're, they're, they're nicely navigating between CFI and DeFi, between the offshore market and the regulated U.S. market, in addition to the work they've done backstopping us during the crypto credit crisis. So... Uh, FTX for the win there. It's almost too easy. Yeah, no. And I love the, 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 the structure of some of the bailouts that they're proposing as well. They're saying, you know, in a very, very, you know, simple terms, um, basically, Hey, like we need to save the customers first, as opposed to the creditors and as opposed to, you know, equity shareholders. And this is kind of a new idea, right? Like they're saying, Hey, we need to get, you know, 
crypto's got a really bad taste in the mouth of a lot of people right now because Voyager, who we've talked to Steve Ehrlich before on the podcast, you know, these are guys, you know, Steve like was a CEO at E-Trade. He wasn't some schmuck off of, you know, off a random guy off the internet. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, there, there are, there are people now like FTX that are coming in and saying, sorry, you guys played your cards wrong. And guess what? Guess who's not going to lose the customers because if the customers lose, they ain't coming back and we can't right. lose their trust. So that I love what right. they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the community is crypto. I agree. Well said. Yeah. Great. And you know, if you're just joining the crypto community, and this is your first crypto podcast you're listening to right now. You've got your head full of some of the best wisdom that we've ever had on this podcast or any podcast that I've listened to in this space. So Matt, we really appreciate it. Can you close us out with just one more line of wisdom for someone who's just getting into crypto for the first time right now after listening to this podcast? Yeah, what would I say? Uh, keep reading is one. And when you're investing in new disruptive technologies, focus on the capabilities more than the technological limitations. Technological limitations have a tendency to get solved over time. But what you can't take away from crypto is it moves money faster than anyone in the world has ever seen. It lets you program money like software. It creates digital property rights. Those are the biggest ideas I've encountered as a financial professional. So stay focused on those ideas. Continue to educate yourself and take the long-term time horizon. Listen to your podcast and uh, you'll turn out okay. Hey, couldn't have said it better. Matt, I mean, couldn't thank you enough for all the time you spent with us today. Um, if uh, if anybody kind of wants to, you know, keep tabs, do you have, uh, I mean, I know you have a Twitter, but you can go ahead and tell your Twitter handle or maybe a website you'd like to plug. Absolutely. Come to bitwiseinvestments.com. You can sign up for our monthly investor letter. We won't bombard your inbox. Uh, or find me on Twitter. It's Matt underscore Hogan. Hogan's weird. It has a U in it. So it's H-O-U. G-A-N. I think I'm the only one in the world. So you'll if you find a Matt Hogan spelled like that, you found me. And uh, <laughs> feel free to reach out. My DMs are open. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much. And everybody at home listening, as always, thank you. Thank you for your time, for your attention. Uh, and we look forward to uh, Matt bringing you back on the podcast whenever you want. You've got our emails now. You could just hit us up. If you have a big product launch, uh, anything like that. And uh, everybody at home, stay tuned. We got more great guests coming up. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.